G'day guys, welcome back to Chat 20, a Roll For It podcast. Thanks for joining us again. My name is Tom, uh, otherwise known as uh, Escobar Centuro, uh, when that <laughs> comes back. Uh, joined as always by Lawrence, the DM guy. That is I, that is I. Welcome all, welcome all. And uh, we're yeah. also joined uh, by Jimmy. Hello, Hello Jimmy. Who's, uh, Jimmy's quite a good friend of ours, avid D&D enthusiast, and a very pickable mind. So, Absolutely. And uh, the lovable kind of chaotic. Mm. There is. Um, we've got to have a little bit of Jimmy in some of our games. He brings, uh, brings them to life. <laughs> yes. <So. laughs> yeah, we can talk about good versus bad chaos at some point as well. I think if, everyone knows it when they see it. If you need someone to hide, try and hide from a house which is bleeding and filling up with blood, um, then Jimmy is your guy. It seemed like a good idea in my head, but yeah. Spoken like a truly chaotic player. It seemed like a good idea in my head. Didn't really think of the consequences. Yeah, but that's a high praise. Thanks, guys. Uh, Cool. So, yeah, last time we were here, we spoke about making interesting characters. So we'll do that. Today. Absolutely, and um, we're going to rack our brains, and we've got all of us making characters. There's going to be three on the spot. Mind on the you. spot, I didn't do any prep. So if you guys prepped, then I'm so mad because I didn't prep. So, <laughs> uh, I'm just going to make everything up on the spot. I think it's the best way to do it. Um, yeah, absolutely. I've been uh, pretty flat out this week, so yeah, I haven't prepped, but uh, I'm pretty confident in my uh, making things up and talking out my ass for a few minutes <laughs> like <laughs> yeah yeah get a character together we'll work out exactly how that process works when we get to it but we'll do a little bit of content first I guess um, we were just talking about this before we jumped on air mm. yeah, I said on air like we're a radio <laughs> show like we're live like, we're live just- from <laughs> Barrow yeah. New South Wales it's Chat 20 um, we were speaking about this before we jumped at, to the table <laughs> struggling <laughs> struggling to English right now um, a hot topic in our groups at the moment character death character death I think we should talk about it because it's something that I know a lot of tables probably think a taboo is taboo yeah that's yeah. in um, it's a harsh reality of D&D that people don't want to face is yeah. your character your characters, characters die. Gonna die they're gonna die it's part of um, it's part of what makes it challenging mm. And there's got to be that threat of death lurking around every corner. That's what makes um, a game interesting. That's what makes it challenging. That's what makes you want to engage carefully. And it's what separates, you know, D&D as a TTRPG versus a, a video game. Yeah. You know, video games, when you die, you respawn, try again. You know. and I think the best advice to new DMs and with new DMs you're very scared of killing your characters you don't want to see it you don't want there to be a TPK and that's always on your mind even as experienced DMs it is on your mind but um, we're starting to get into the point of view where death is a part of it death is going to be always a part of it and um, how it's how you handle that moment and how you handle those moments yeah, uh, you've obviously got to look at it from the D, uh, the DM's side of things and the player's side of things. So I think we should talk a little bit about both. Exactly. You know, ways to, if you're at a table where death is like not talked about and your DM obviously fudges roles, you know, deus ex machina, every time you're supposed to die, someone comes in and, you know, rescues you or, 
you know, maybe we can give some tips, I don't know, about how you can introduce death into the game without making it the central theme. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Jimmy, have your characters ever died? Um, yeah, I think there's like two ways my characters have died. The first one is just like the dumb, idiot, tragic, I'm dying because, you know, my character's weak or something like that. Like, um, I'm just going into battle and they're not high enough and they've just been knocked out, which is quite tragic. I'm not really ready for that. Then there's the heroic, poetic death where you plan your character to go out the way you want to. You lead up, you know, to a situation, you know, you achieve your goals and the result is, you know, your character yeah. unfortunately dies. Um, you guys have experienced both of these. On a spiritual level. Yeah. On a spiritual level. That actually goes into um, something we were talking about in the car. And this is why Deus Exing um, people's death is actually detrimental to the game and to the player sometimes. Um, actually, most of the times. So I don't think there's like a super great time to use Deus Ex. but reading the room. So... You know, if it looks like a sure thing, TPK, you're going to kill the party. No one's having fun because, you know, there's so much more they want to do. Then maybe, yeah. But if it comes to a point where it's, you know, it's a logical end or conclusion, then, yeah, I don't, yeah. I can see arguments for, you know, deus exing stuff like deaths every now and then. Um, You know, if it's part of the story or, you know, the players aren't satisfied, you know. Um, I just don't think it's something that people should rely on all the time. Mm. And you shouldn't do it often. If you're doing it all the time, it takes away the threat of death. If you take I've away done the it threat of once death, in that campaign I run with you guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. I typically you, and you woke up in a dungeon. Yeah, yeah. and no, that's because it served it. the story. Mm. Yeah, it took it took the story where I wanted it to go. Since that point, I've killed two people. Yeah, I've killed two <laughs> characters since that point because they made stupid choices. Yeah, or heroic choices, as Jimmy said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that's the heroically thing. stupid. Uh, and that was a fitting end for his character. So it's yeah, I see arguments for Deus Exing, but as you said, DMs especially if you're doing it all the time, it doesn't work. It it just it kind of like you said, it takes it takes the not the, the fun out of the game, the threat. But where's the threat? There's you know? got to be that challenge. There's got to be that overall overarching worry that yeah it is a dangerous adventure there's got to be something stopping your fighter from just being like yep I can one versus eight this whole (laughs) fucking pack of orcs because if I die my DM's not gonna actually kill me you know yeah exactly um um, and on the flip side, you shouldn't be going... As a DM, you shouldn't be going out of your way to kill your characters. It's not a DM versus players, but um, that's the extreme in the opposite direction where you are deliberately seeking your character's death. I think that's a um, <clears throat> that's what a Session Zero is for, right? Mm. If players want a proper Dark Souls-style campaign where the DM is going to drop them and then target down characters, then do it. But only if people want to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's not, yeah, if you're a DM and you're just attacking unconscious players specifically just to kill their characters, it's not fun. Yeah. But if people want to, then it's great. There's definitely yeah. a lot of, like, trust issues and, um, yeah, like, you don't want to be, like, you know, controlling people, like, you know, by pushing this or lording that over them. Like, you know, death is something that's quite real for characters. Like, there's a very thin, you know, 
layer between like you know the real world and D&D sometimes and once you're playing and you're you know not um able to achieve everything you want to in games and um you feel like there's you know um kind of like I don't know like a tension between the character and the DM because they can knock you off it can it can be hard yeah 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 no, that's that's the thing like we've got Tom and I have got a bit of a story in regards to like one of those moments um we're playing two Warforged and we've uh, known each other for some time and we were standing against an army of these demons that exploded now how that happened was it's a place with the sands it's a desert at night if you don't have special wards or sigils or whatnot um these demonic entities these uh, demons rise from the sand and attack with great ferocity and um deadliness Anyway, I buggered up a roll um, to set up one of these wards, and it failed. So these demons inevitably rose and started to attack. Um, Rubix, that's Tom's character at the time, he went down, so I managed to heal him. But we decided to stay back to let the others have a chance of escape. So it was just us facing an army, an absolute force of these demons knowing that we're going to die and in fact that session was left on that cliffhanger and we're happy with that we're like yeah we're ready we were ready ready. like if like if there was ever a time to go out it's like our characters our backstories intertwined you know our characters were essentially as much as Warforged can be brothers our characters were essentially brothers two brothers in a final stand against an army of demons to help their friends escape yeah, it's a exactly. pretty badass way to go. It was a badass way to go. Like, you just there. We took a photo of the whole thing. There was um, great music for it and everything. Um, and then we left on the cliffhanger and we we're talking about it for a month because I think that's roughly when it was COVID pretty was much Christmas time, I think. Oh, uh, yeah, we caught it off for yeah. Christmas time. And yeah, we got Deus Ex out of that death. Yeah, because we came back, and the very first session we came back, we were there expecting this big moment where we go down fighting. And I wouldn't to the have last. even needed that moment. Like we were left on the the free frame of us staring down an army of demons. We didn't even need to do anymore. Like, we didn't even need to do anymore. We, you know, we knew DM, what was going to happen. Like the DM told us, "Don't delete your characters." You know, we'll see what happens at the start of the next session. And I think we both went out of our way to say, "If we die, like we're fine," because it's, yeah, it's a fitting it's end for our characters. Okay. It's what they would want, you know, side by side with their brother. It's poetic. Facing down an army of demons, giving their friends times to escape. Um, we did get deus ex out of that with the whole, you know, there's a flash of light. Yeah, so, so we came back. That, that session, we came back. And there we were, facing the, down these things. And then there was this bright, blinding light. Um, which emerged in front of us. And all of a sudden... We were teleported away from that spot, and we were somewhere else completely. But we were ta- we were Deus Ex. We were saved. Um, yeah, like we, for- we won't go like super into detail, but you know, in a situation like that, I think especially if the players are happy with how it's going, just you know, just allow it. Just like, allow it exactly. Yeah, and the DM for that game was great. You know, we had really good oh, times in that game. Yeah. It was just that was I think specifically that moment was one of those times where Deus Exing was done probably not at the right time. 
we all make mistakes. Like that, I reckon that was a mistake, but we all do. I've made mistakes. I've made a ton of them. I've made decisions that, in hindsight, probably could have done that differently, and it would have been a lot better. Um, and that was, just, that was just one of those moments. Yeah, and really just come down to you know being able to communicate what you want to get out of your character, and or if you're a DM, what you get want to get out of your game. Like if you're not achieving all those little milestones with your character or with your game. Um, killing off your character can, you know, just be horrible because you haven't achieved everything you want to do. So just, you know, stopping and having that bit of a chat with your DM and sorry, this is what I want to achieve as my character. This is like some big stuff I want to do. And yeah, yeah, I I agree. Yeah, you know, especially as a DM, it's good to know where each player wants their character to go. Mm. Um, and then you know, you know, when you hit that milestone and they've achieved what they want to, they're probably happy from that point on. Yeah, to have a heroic death and you know start again. But you're right, it can be very deflating if, you know, you want this specific moment and then either it's taken away from you or it never happens and then you just die. The the old trope is you want to die, everyone wants to die heroically, 90% of the time you die because a goblin rolls a critical hit Mm. in some some random encounter in the middle of the wilderness. Yeah. Like, there's nothing more deflating than dying that way. But also, is that a, you know? I don't know. There's there's arguments for Deus Exing. There's arguments for killing, but there's counter arguments for both as well. Look, I think Deus Exing has place sometimes. Um, like you said, if it serves the story. Um, but at the same token. You've got to show that, like, you're not you're backing down from death. And you're not holding back. Yeah, punches. you don't and want I to think... be a DM where your players are like, "Ah, oh, well, he's afraid to kill us, so we, we can just muck around do whatever, whatever we, we want. want." Yeah, no, 100%. Um, I agree. Because you've got to have like, uh, we'll definitely bring it up in other podcasts as well. But there is a balance between allowing your players to feel like gods, um, or that they're too weak. Uh, so if you don't get the balance right, they can either feel like they're constantly being barraged with too hard of encounters. They're not able to um, show what the characters can do. They may need a DMPC that come and save the day. So that's when it goes too far down one end. The other end is if you're a level 20 fighting, I don't know, 10 goblins. There's a balance you've got to strike. Now, sometimes that can be fun. But if it's all the time... It can either be too easy and therefore boring, or it could be too hard and therefore um, too oppressive. And um, yeah, I'm a yeah. You got to get that sort of balance in the middle where yeah, they can have those moments where they feel god, they can just like slaughter everything in their way. Yeah, you know they're feeling great, um, but then you got to balance it out with like okay, well now you felt like a god, let's have something that's a bit more challenging. Yeah, yeah. and it's not so much you want to make your players feel weak. Yeah, you yeah. just want to make them feel challenged. Challenged. That's why. That's the center point that I was explaining. And I guess you know, dungeons are the perfect way to look at it. Generally, the weakest things are at the start of the dungeon. And the strongest yeah. things are at the end. So the first couple of rooms of the dungeon, your, your players steamroll over all the enemies, take a short rest. You know, use a spell slot here or there, and then as they get further through, they're using more resources and more resources. But it's exactly. a gradual yeah. climb. Mm. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, it's not right also to just... Oh, my characters are just getting through all my combats too easy. Like, boom. Here's a fucking CR20 devil. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, 
um, there is that balance of um, feeling strong and feeling weak, and that's the challenge level. Uh, so keeping keeping that in mind as well. I think another thing that worked really well, another moment that I think worked really well, was the moment with Kozak. Yeah, this is a whole story. Um, Lawrence ran a campaign set in a fictional continent called Morkoth, loosely Lord of the Rings based. Um, so, you know, we were evil. It was an evil campaign. It was originally supposed to be a one shot, so I just made this shit kicker bugbear character who was the right hand man of an evil necromancer just a big yes man like enforcer guy that didn't really speak much just beat people up and um we ended up really liking the one shot so we turned it into a campaign and um you know i played kozak through and through and through and for the most part he was just that shit kicking grumpy bugbear that didn't really talk and just beat people up but gradually as the campaign went along you know he gained the friendship of the group as much as you can with an evil group you know, the group bonded. And, um, you know, it got to a point where I I had achieved what I wanted with Kozak, you know. He, he'd rid himself of his oppressor. You know, he, he rid himself of the necromancer. He became a free person. Um, things were going really well for the group. And it got to a point where, you know, the option came up to, you know, do something heroic. Mm. We were in a city surrounded by sluds. Well, yeah, necromorph, xenomorph slides based loosely on aliens. Yeah, I really uh, did like to throw in. <laughs> <a lot of laughs> you know, we were in the middle of this right. city, surrounded by like eight of these things, and one of these things was a challenge for the party. So we knew eight would be a total wipe. And I just kind of was like, "All right, everyone in the water, let's swim." And then everyone was like, "Cool, yeah, we jump in the water." And I was like, "Okay, I don't jump in the water." Yeah, and uh, yeah. the party was like what are you doing and I looked at Lawrence and he looked at me and we kind of like nodded and locked eyes and anyway my character ended up sacrificing himself to save this group of people that you know six months earlier he hated all of them (laughs) but it got to a point where it was a fitting conclusion to his story so I was happy for him to die yeah you know he died and his death served the story you know it prompted a lot of role play between the remaining characters and yeah it was a massive moment and when I was designing that encounter too I wasn't designing it in the purpose um, for you to have chosen that moment but it became natural in it and it was um, so natural because Tom had discussions with me about you know mixing characters up because he was playing a fighter in another campaign at the time um, I think I was to tossing like a, up the old, the old like does my character just retire Originally, he was just going to retire, and yeah. you were going to play him as an NPC. And then I, I don't know; it just felt right at the time, and I was felt like, right. "I was like, oh, he's going to sacrifice himself to save them." Yeah, that's what's happening. And then I yeah. did it, and then it, it was great. We, you know, we had to leave the room at one point. <laughs> you know, we paused the game because everyone there was tears. There was you know, tears. Everyone the around the table was crying. Yeah. There was tears. Um, we paused the game for about fifteen minutes took a breather came back had some of the best role play I've ever seen yeah it was um, absolutely beautiful so they got out uh, at a river bank um, after escaping River Run which was the town that they were in um, they escaped onto that river bank and they in game role played this morning 
about and this debrief about what just happened with Kozak. Um, and he went on for quite some time and neither Tom nor myself as the DM needed to say anything. They just took the floor, they took this role-playing moment and it was the most engaged um, I've seen anyone in D&D thus far and it was an incredible experience. We just looked at each other like this is mm. this is happening, this is what's, uh, this is a moment. Yeah. And yeah. Jimmy, you prompted a table-wide silence. <laughs> when your character did his stupid thing <laughs> I actually want to talk about a different character moment for a second like yeah. that was <clears throat> the stuff about Kozak was just a beautiful moment where like you know a character can have complete closure I um <clears throat> had a similar moment with a different character in a, another campaign my character Jalen Oss oh. um I want to talk about that for a second because technically um, that was the same campaign as Kozak it was same, same campaign this happened end. a lot yeah, after yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, this is more of an example of where you know character sort of heroically dies but there's issues that come up laugh after and there's a little bit of just um, unresolved tension about some stuff that I want to I don't know, I'll get off my chest or something. It's nothing there too go big. for it. <laughs> Jesus, alright, here we go. Delphi <laughs> Deep. Jesus, I'm going to get the whiskey, eh? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's going to need a little bit of the, uh, the Lac Le Monde. Uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing too drastic. So, um, Jalanos was this giant Genasi, you know, fighter paladin who was basically just like this walking tank. He could, like, he, he had, like, that, um, feet where he could you know turn really big like a giant like a giant rune knight and he could yep. um, just run around and stomp stuff and when he was a paladin like he was doing like hundreds of you know damage like I think he did like 180 damage in one hit one yeah. time and um, he had this crazy backstory he had like these two arcan stones that had extended his life for a thousand years and um, his whole you know plane like his fire plane had been destroyed in a war so there's no reason for him you know to keep living it was the last of his whole you know descendant line and everything and um there was this beautiful moment right at the end of this campaign of lawrence where um knowing that you know his he was the last of his line he um gave an arkenstone to this red dragon called jack ah and um sacrificed his life so that jack could continue and i thought yeah that's good you know that was a perfect end for him there was no reason for him to continue on until we had like two one shots afterwards where the whole party (laughs) came face to face with zariel and I'm like, oh god, this would be like the most perfect moment for you know him to go <laughs> battling freaking Zarya. There isn't a you know character I could imagine who would be better off to go one on one against Zarya except for Jalen. And <laughs> there were, like, that whole time, I was just thinking, how can I bring this character to life? He's dead. Where can he come? And there was just no avenue to bring him back to life. And I've been bugging Lawrence. Yeah, we should just do a one on one sometime, just so I can have a bit of closure about that. <laughs> but um, nothing. We will get. There. We will get there. We We'll get, I, I promise yeah. we'll do a 1v1 with Ariel and we'll uh, quench that. Um, At the same time, though. I'm just going to 1v1 Zariel. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to get ragged, boy. <laughs> At the Sorry. same time, though, like, it's good just, I guess, just facing reality that sometimes characters do have just permadeaths and there's no way back for them. And yeah. I mean, look, there's resurrection. The hard part about yeah. it. It's I'm... Like, I don't know. I don't think we've ever used, we've ever had a character death in a campaign where we've used resurrection to bring him back. No death. It happens. We make a new character and we move on. Like I, yeah. 
there's you know you can get an unsatisfying death and then be like god damn I wish I could bring my character back but yeah it's it's D&D like it's death is a thing and that's what we've been saying is you can either shy away from it and just think of death as this horrible thing that players never want to go through and DMs never want to go through or you can think of it as this potential for stories yeah it's a potential for stories it's a potential for growth it's a potential and for you know role play everything. and it is an emotional hook it is an emotional yeah. um, we do form attachments to the characters that we bring um, and also keeping in mind too and this is something a little bit uh, more deep I guess um, it is an emotional thing and like yeah there is going to be that debrief that's going to be that mourning process for your party and your characters and whatnot. Um, you do have to keep in the back of your mind a sort of reminder that it is only a game that your characters although unique and important and special to you is just a game so if it is affecting you um on a external level that there are avenues to um, you know seek help about yeah. that uh, this is getting a little bit deep um, and yeah but some people will probably think that we're contradicting ourselves because I think the very first thing we said on our very first podcast was D&D is more than a game so you're probably thinking right now oh but you said it's more than a game and now you're saying it's just a game what we're saying I guess is the people that are dying while yes you created them you've become attached to them they're not a real person yeah dying yeah and I I mean if you're getting emotional over death to that point great like you're you're attached to your character you're invested but it's like what it's a it's it's like watching a playing a movie if that makes sense yeah yeah you don't want your favourite character in a movie to die but sometimes they do and they're not a real person and you know you come to terms with it and yeah damn it Jack Um, why couldn't you get on the raft anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah he wasn't my favourite person (laughs) (laughs) Um, they could have shared that door they could have shared that (laughs) she she just didn't want to because I don't know, he, he would have been annoying to live with forever if they got together at the end of it all. And, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, if we had to nut it down, let's put you know two or three pros of death for DMs and two or three pros of death for players. Yeah, absolutely. So DMs, I'll go first. What's a pro of introducing death or in, you know ingraining death into your campaign? Um, story. Mm. It, it helps the story you know it can be a very powerful storytelling tool yeah and it helps invest in those uh, hooks of um, story development yeah the story beats that you want to hit it That's all it. happens um, and it all revolves around life and death yeah Jimmy um, one point a pro for DMs for ingraining death into their campaign he said story yeah um Closure. Uh, to give one. you an opportunity to move on from something where you might be roadblocked, giving you an opportunity to to move forward as a as a group. Um, sometimes you can just be stuck in places, and that's horrible. You just yeah need to you know have a situation like like a death or something to move on. Mm. Yeah, um, I think mine sort of 
touches on closure a little bit, but just goes a little bit further um, beyond is um, when death happens, it's in a way got to be respected. Um, and what I mean by that is it gives players time to reach what Jimmy said as in that, that closure to give a chance for them to mourn their characters to do this but also it has meaning so don't just touch on it and then leave don't just touch on it and then that's that's it that doesn't mean anything it can have big ramifications down the track story wise it can have um, minor but yet noticeable ramifications as well um, and so it's just continuing that importance of it and then when you continue the importance of um, that the player actually feels like their character had purpose or meant something in that world mm-hmm. and it did interact with something um, and then can you imagine hearing that back later on and like seeing an event that directly was caused because that player died mm-hmm. and how you would feel with that it's um, like wow so yeah there's a YouTube video that keeps coming up on my feed. It's like some guy from America and he's been playing the same game for 40 years straight. Have you guys seen that? I have. Yeah. No, I haven't. Yeah, I have. Guys I, been I haven't watched it. I've read a little bit about it with yeah. the same DM with the same group and they've been playing since 1980 something. Yeah, yeah. wow. That's Just incredible. One yeah. continuous long campaign. Like, bit of feedback don't be that guy like it's good to swap up and do different stuff like yeah i think that was we were gonna i was gonna shift over to looking at death from the player's perspective yeah what are some pros as a player for you know being open to death and one of them is you know if it sometimes yes it can be deflating but if it gets to a point where you're happy to go you get to play a new character and Mm. one of the funnest things is making new characters, getting into character, fleshing out the character, building relationships with other players. Like, so yeah, that's instantly pointed to my point. Like, it's all well and good, you know, you want to play a campaign with the same group for forty years, but like, not the same campaign, mm. please. Like, yeah, and I think another point with the players as well. Um, and I'm just thinking about a million different things, so I've got to focus on this one thing. <laughs> Yeah, still, um, still going on tangents. Still going on tangents. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. But it also helps to build that role-playing moments with other players. Um, I find that when characters do have those moments where they die, they get the closure and it's meaningful and impactful in the world. Um, it's something that players talk about um, you know, years, months, like ages after that session. Like, we still talk about um, the deaths that our characters have had in the past. Particularly oh, the so. meaningful ones. Yeah. Like, we talk yeah. about Kozak, we talked about the two Warforged. Mm. Uh, the ones that had uh, meaning stick in our minds longer and we talk about in a positive light. Um, it also helps to bond players, is what I'm getting at. It's, um, yeah. So, a fresh start, a bond between the players. Round it out, Jimmy. And mind blank. We did say, we'd say two or three. But Building on yeah, creati- yeah. creativity was something I was thinking about. You know, it stops you from just stifling and being in the same spot when you can yeah. move on and like look at new stuff that can help you. Build. And true. 
Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent. I think if you get stuck, if you're playing the same character too long, mm. it becomes a bit of a tick and flick. Like, oh, you know, if you play it more like uh, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, Eldritch Blast, you know, um, yeah, I'm a fighter. Oh, I just hit stuff. You know, action surge hit, bonus action hit. Like, yeah, yeah. There we go. Creativity, fresh start, connectivity. Absolutely. Yeah. Because uh, what I was saying is just, just, just don't be bitches. <laughs> Death happens. Like, it happens, if, you yeah. know, you know, unless you want to find a group, do a session zero and say, you know, specifically say, we don't want to die. We want our characters to feel like gods at all times. We just want to roll over shit the whole time we're playing. Then go for it. That's your kind of game. Do it. But you're missing out on a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of um, development, a lot of story and a lot of emotion that can be had when death is a part of the world. Um, sure. Some of the best moments. Some of the best moments. Absolutely. And, and, and there's been deaths too that could have been great moments, but were unfortunately glossed over. Yeah. So I think that goes back to what you said as a DM, especially about if there is a death in your campaign or deaths, multiple, sometimes two or three characters died in the the same combat, you know, sit with it and let it happen. Yeah. You know, it's a big thing. Like a player character dies. You don't just, okay, what combat's done? Let's go on to the next thing. Let the moment happen. That's when you'll get a lot of your good shit. Two things that you can do in that, um, that moment and I'll give you a bit of advice on this um, first of all is we spend time describing how that process went down and how um, they fought valiantly and how, what they did in their last moments and make it impactful um, so spend time doing that and then the second thing is is going to sound terrible but shut up. This is a second part. So after you do that the impactful death, you let the players have a moment to um, debrief, have a moment to role play what they're doing um, out of respect of their fallen comrade or comrades and allow them to have that chance to um, grieve over them and have that chance to role play over them. If you go straight to, okay, they died, and then you move on to the next thing, You've not really given the death a meaningful moment. And that can leave players, especially the uh, players that characters have just died, feeling hollow and not uncared for, but very close to feeling uncared for. Yeah. (laughs) But... Yeah, and, you know, and the players that played with them, you know, Mm. whose characters were connected to those people. Like, I don't... We won't go into full stories, but we were playing in a campaign. We had a big combat. Two... Two characters died. One of them was yours. Yep. Lawrence. Your character <laughs> sacrificed himself to save my character. We ended the session at the end of the campaign. Bad guy got away. Two party members died. And, you know, we were hoping at the start of the next session we'd get a 15 minutes, you know, to sit down and be like, whoa, that happened. Mm. Do a little bit of a, you know, in memoriam of our characters. And then it was like, oh, yeah, uh, like the ground disappears from under your feet you fall down you teleport it back to Waterdeep and you're arrested and it's like <laughs> Jesus Christ like people just died like it's a little lackluster yeah. you didn't get that uh, you didn't get the opportunity to really um, grieve over them you didn't get the opportunity yeah. to role play and, like, and again like that campaign was great it was just that like, little thing like 
Yeah. Like, we're happy to die, but, you know, let it let it be a moment. Like, don't gloss over it. Cause it's, yeah, exactly. There's some let people be that'll be like, oh, nah, my character died. I, I don't want to talk about it. I'm so sad. But, like, yeah, it's some of the best stuff. Maybe I mean, I'm a masochist. I don't know. I love it. You know, <laughs> I love it that, you know, with Kozak, when he died, and you and I just sat there silently and let everyone... Let the let three, do them let the three girls the talk for 15 minutes. And there was tears, and there was yelling, and there was... <laughs> And um, and it was great, and it's like that is what that is what D and D is about. And, and if yeah. you have to die a little bit to achieve it, then go for it. Like, and it gave Kozak a meaningful death. It um, it also gave the players an opportunity to um, move on from that death, but in a productive and healthy way. They were able to grieve over the loss of the party um, deceased party member. Yeah, for sure. They were able to get a chance to engage emotionally and role play that. Well, I think we've talked a lot about death in the last half. What are we half at? What are we at for time? Half we hour. were at about thirty-six minutes. Oh, we just talked about killing course. characters. Let's make some characters. Let's make some characters. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a perfect. You know, segue. We said the best part about the best part as a player of your character dying is you get to make a new one. And let's make some characters, do. baby. Um, so now we're going to decide who exactly is going to go first. Um, I personally think it should be. You, Tom. I'll go first. <laughs> Volunteer you. All right. Okay. I've had an idea and it I, it was kind of rumbling around in my head. And I was thinking of that little thing that would push it over the edge and it actually came up in tonight's Frostmaiden session. Um, haven't settled on a name yet. Um, my character is a Leonin. Uh, white. Obviously stylized after Snow Leopard. Or something like that. Lives in a frosty environment, mountains, tundra, something like that. As a cub, went out hunting with his father, or you know, a village elder, or one of the one of the lead, one of the you know big head honcho hunters. Um, unfortunately, they were caught in an avalanche, and the older member that he was with died, and he was stuck under the snow uh, for quite a while before he was found. And he has a crippling fear of... Well, he's claustrophobic. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, you know, perhaps when he's traveling near mountains or through mountain ranges, he's always kind of almost subconsciously looking over his shoulders, expecting an ambush or, an, or you know, an avalanche to happen. Yeah. Claustrophobic, you know, fear of the dark, having been left alone with the body, the deceased body of his father or, you know, whoever it might be. Haven't fully fleshed it out yet. <laughs> but you know and that's I guess I'm leaning into what we spoke about last session that's a flaw you know claustrophobic yeah exactly yeah um, um as for a name uh I do love me a good Paxanon uh, <laughs> which yeah, is a character in Paxanon. another game I played with Leonin so Paxanon the white Leonin uh ranger who uh, serves as one of the one of the lead hunters for his tribe, um, but is also deathly afraid of you know tight spaces in the dark. As, after what happened to him as a child when he went out hunting with his father, because that just gives it more emotional gravitas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, I guess I'm going to make a somewhat interesting character, but it's a little bit generic in some parts. But it's going to be balanced out because he's absolutely awesome. And I'm going to go with the Halfling Rogue. I'm going to go with the Halfling Rogue. Edgy. Edgy, edgy, edgy. But here's the thing. He is extraordinarily new to being a rogue. Um, 
He's very, very green. He's just started off by pickpocketing, um, and he's making his way up to like breaking and breaking and entering, effectively. So he's making his way up to robbing houses. Um, however, he does have one issue. He is allergic to cat hair, and he has hay fever. So now you've got to make sure that the DM is aware of uh, aware of this because it's going to be great when you're trying to um, stealth inside a house that has cats. You know, you're rolling really well. All of a sudden, they might have a cat there, or they might have flowers, which, let's face it, is in a lot of houses, right? Correct. So he's going to be rolling with disadvantage, sneezing, carrying on. He's going. <laughs> so really bad at his job, um, halfling rogue. And I'm going to call him Axel Swiftfeet. Nice. Axel Swiftfeet. Swiftfeet. Classic, classic <laughs> rogue last name. Swiftfeet. <laughs> um, yeah, so, that's pretty much mine. Just uh, the allergies going into the rogue um, business. Yeah. Starting off. And he's just not very good at what he's doing. Yeah. Jimmy. Um, Jimmy. <clears throat> Hit us with a character. Well, liked you guys' idea, but I want to take a bit of a step back. So when I create a character, I'm always asking two questions first. One is, what's the campaign that I'm playing? Yeah. And two is, how's the party balanced and where's my character going to fit in? So let's just start with that first. Um, Lawrence, give me a campaign I can play. Curse of Strahd. Curse of Strahd, okay. Um, Tom, who's in my party? Uh, you've got a... Are you talking just classes? I want... Maybe, how many people are playing? Is there four or five? Uh, I'm going to say it's four players. Four players? Yep. I'm going to say already in your party is a... Furbolg Druid. Okay. Um, a Dwarven Cleric. Yep. And a Human Rogue. Okay. So, a Cleric, a Druid, and a Rogue. So... Our party's pretty well balanced towards like the healing side. We've got a rogue who can break into stuff. We're kind of missing someone who is a bit of a tank. So I'm thinking maybe I'll start off with a bit of a tank. So maybe maybe I'll play a paladin. Or maybe maybe something on the other end, because maybe a warlock, you don't have a um a, like a spellcaster, do you? So uh, you got the cleric. You got the cleric. Yeah. I just play human fighter, I guess. That might be good. That sort of balances it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's in Strahd, so he wants to be sort of um, sort of in depth with everything that's happening in Strahd. So maybe I'll play like, yeah, a male fighter who's um, really good at like um, sword play. Like he's got those wee, you know, really thin rapiers and stuff and he's like sort of a um, bit of a swordsman. Um, let's call him... Um, Something very stratty. So I'm thinking like, you know, 1600s, very like, you know, Renaissance. Um, something that would fit in well with like Assassin's Creed 2. Like Dumont or something. <laughs> yeah. Dumont the swordsman. Dumont. Yeah. Francois. And um, from then, like, I really drill into my backstory. So Dumont is a swordsman. He comes from like, you know, a rich elite family where he was like um, cast off because he... Um, fell in love with the rival family's 
head maiden or something like that. And um, he was, you know, traveling along a road one day after being, you know, cast out and was um, picked up by like a, you know, seafaring merchant or something and led to, you know, sail on the high seas. And eventually he was, um, you know, joined the circus because he could do lots of weird swordsmanship and um, ended up in Strahd somehow. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Man's, man's like a jack of all trades. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was a pirate. He went to the circus. <laughs> he did everything. But yeah, just by asking those questions, you get someone who obviously has like a really in-depth backstory. You can sort of play along with it, but also who just fits in with the party in a little bit more of a direct manner rather than just someone who's just, you know, some creative juices that you popped up. I think that's all we were looking at was just to see who could be the most creative. Yeah. But you'll <laughs> yeah. notice that none of us said, Ooh, I'm a... I'm a fallen Asimov blood hunter whose family was wiped out by a tribe of orcs and then I made a deal with a devil and then I grew up in hell and then I'm cursed to be a werewolf every day and like it just goes to show and I yeah I just goes to show you don't have to do a thousand fucking things to be interesting Mm. you don't have to do a thousand fucking things a fear of heights allergies claustrophobia they all add to making interesting characters and interesting character moments. I mean, imagine me trying to break into like a house that has flowers and I sneeze. Mm. Um, there was a Goliath has. barbarian just waiting there for me. And, and very angry and raging now that he's been woken from his sleep, mm. stomping his way out. Then I have to make uh, the very clever um, conversations to try and calm him down or talk my way out of a situation mm. or... I have to try and hide or get away. Um, so it gives you more um, engaging moments. So if you had to give Dumont mm. um, a flaw or, you know, a bond or an ideal or something, what would you do? I'd what say, just from that little backstory that I created, maybe, like, um, he can't say no to a jewel. Maybe he's, like, a bit of a womanizer. Maybe um, he will pursue evil until, like, you know, he's, you know, um, lost every avenue of, you know, victory or something. He would just pursue it relentlessly. See? It's great. Can't yeah. say no to a one-on-one combat. That's it's it. a great character <laughs> for. Yeah. That's going to get you into a lot of interesting positions. Yeah. You know, in a campaign. Mm. And you don't have to be one of those triple multi-class, you know, exactly. super-duper five pages of abilities to be interesting. Mm. I think, like, if... You know, when Strahd ends, and if I wanted to take Dumont into like another world, like, um, say I was going to play like Descent into Avernus, I could just sort of tweak him a little bit so that he could sort of carry on. Like, maybe, you know, he's um, gained some, um, I don't know, like um, infernal dealings or something like that, or he's, you know, taking on some dark history or. Mm. Yeah. Also, depends on what the DM and uh, what you discuss at the table. Mm. And that's again going back to like session zeros and stuff like that. Because um, I, I know that I've played in games where the DM specifically says no to bringing characters across from different games. Mm. But you're more than able. You're more than willing. You're more than able to do that. Yeah, yeah. But um, other DMs say, yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Just start them back at um, yeah. base level. Um, and that's sort of going back to discussing with the table. Anyway, I think to answer your question about the personality traits. Ideals, bonds, Axel Swiftfoot. 
I think his personality would be he's always optimistic, even when the odds aren't stacked in their, his favour mm-hmm. or the party's favour. So he's um, hopelessly optimistic at all times, even to the point it's annoying. <laughs> yep. Um, his ideal is he wants to be able to um, be nimble. He wants to be able to get into places quickly. Um, he wants to be able to um, do right by people by taking from the very Robin Hood-esque. Taking from the rich to give to the poor. Yeah. Um, but I think his bond is he's trying to help his own family um, survive. And he takes that on into a larger scale with his... Um, with others so I think his bond would be that he's trying to um, keep his family alive so all he's done is steal to keep them going yeah and then he it broadens that so I think that would be mine and the floor is obviously the allergies allergies yeah. <laughs> yeah see I I don't think I would break mine down into Bond's ideals personality traits I would just say that Paxanon, you know, is very proud, very proud, very prideful. Leonin uh, mm. feels like he has to provide for his tribe as as penance for you know not being able to save his father when they went on their hunt. Um, you know, he would be very quick to you know stand in defence of people that treat him well. Uh, as most people would be. Um, and ideally, well, I guess ideally, um, you know, he's he does everything he does for the betterment of his tribe. You know, who live in the mountains. They, they took a great blow with the avalanche um, and he's lived his life trying to make up for not being able to save his father. Yeah, yeah, fair Pretty enough. Much. Yeah. I think at the cusp of this as well, you see three different um, mindsets on how to build um, characters. Um, I think I do. None's yeah. entirely the same as the other, yeah. and that's going to be the same case for you I guys. I think I do it your way. I just don't call it those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, every character I've played has had a flaw in some way. But I, I think, don't call it a flaw. It's just a character quirk. I think what they help people to do and I think this is why I consider them valuable is they just help to break down your backstory just a little bit to give you a guide as to how to roleplay your character and it can be useful in some circumstances to reflect on that so that when the DM's like explaining the situation that's happening um, you can review that to go oh this is how my character would behave at a particular point and like I just explained to all my players and stuff like that is your these things can change over time. You pick up new flaws or you lose flaws when you overcome them. Oh, hey. Or, um... Some of it just comes down to, like, what you're influenced by. Like, it's perfectly fine to, you know, borrow ideas from, like, popular culture and to adapt that into your character. Yeah. I try and do um, a little bit of that sometimes. I usually get inf- um, inspiration from um, pop culture references. But I've also started to build characters that are... Um, that may have a little bit of that in it, like, but they, they're quirky, and I try and give them a unique quirk that's just off the top of my head now. Mm. Yeah, I just think, yeah, something that gives you that little bit of extra 
a bit of an extra well to tap into when you're role playing, mm. or you know when there's a little when there's a chance for a little bit of extra oomph, you know, in a situation. And I'm just uh, mindful of the time here, so I might wrap it up soon. But um, there is one more thing that I think we should go through, and that is our sponsor, our very real quotation mark quotation mark oh, definitely sponsor. real shop that totally definitely <laughs> exists and is hundred percent unquestionable or a scam or just yeah. doesn't exist. And that's uh, Baldrick's Emporium of Curiosities and Oddities and Curiosities. That's it. Baldrick's Emporium of Baldrick's, uh, Curiosities and Oddities. I'm a bit concerned at this point because we've got a, someone at the table that has a very, very big beef against Baldrick. No idea why. It's a fantastic <laughs> Baldrick sold him a totally legitimate magic <laughs> He didn't read the fine print correctly. It exactly. Invisible boots, not boots of invisibility. <laughs> um, he got really mad. Tried to murder Baldrick. Uh, yeah, look. <laughs> but it wasn't Baldrick's fault. He no. just didn't get the uh, representation he deserved. In the end, Baldrick got what was coming to him. So it's all that's good. right. Bagman. <laughs> Bagman really. His, his I threw this shop at the game. It's a whole story. I, threw I missed this... that session. I'm so disappointed. <laughs> I could have bought a dodgy magical item. <laughs> Been disappointed just as much as old whatever your name was, Thorn. Now, in Baldrick's defense, he never claimed that it was like a powerful, strong um, shop of powerful magic items. Just oddities and curiosities. Oddities and curiosities. That's all it was. Like, um, <laughs> And Jimmy's character at the time was very excited because he was getting these, uh, what he thought were boots of invisibility that were going to turn him invisible. So that he could go into the cemetery and dig up graves... To find skeletons to create more... It's what you do when you're Ske- a freaking necromancer. Anyway. <laughs> In a good campaign <laughs> with uh, dwarves that wanted to respect it. Anyway, that's a whole other story. Anyway, Baldrick's shop is, is, is totally got, legitimately real and not made up at all. And they sponsor <laughs> us very kindly. Absolutely. And give us some amazing and very useful products. Um, which I'm go. sure you'll discover because... I remember a time when a ring a ring mimic had bitten off your finger, Jimmy. Oh, yeah. That was fun. Um, what that kind was of magic was... item shop sells a ring mimic? Now, here's the it's thing. It's a horrible shop. It's an absolute horrible shop, right? Uh, this <laughs> shop doesn't this do this. that's going to eat your finger. It, uh, this shop protects people from that. I, I don't know if it does. What do you mean? It's <laughs> <laughs> like a side with Jimmy over there. <laughs> Oh. My goodness, no, it sells ring mimic repellent. Just totally not just <laughs> apple juice in a spray bottle. <laughs> <laughs> it's another ring that uh. releases pheromones. That when a ring mimic is anywhere near your hand, um, will spring it to life and cause it to run away. Question. It does not does- like... Does it only work on ring mimics or does it work on any kind of mimic? No, specifically ring mimics. <laughs> <laughs> any mimic worth its weight would just change into something else. <laughs> I can't go near him, he's got the ring mimic repellent up. Let me turn into a, a chair mimic instead. Oh, it's like oh, that thing yeah. from The Simpsons. This rock repels tigers. How do you know? Do you see any tigers? Whoa, I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that sounds like a perfectly good time to finish up. Look, if that's not what you want, then you want uh, a rock of gravity detection. Oh, 
Josh. Let's not begin. Start with this. Next, we'll be talking about a, a, a dart gun that shoots love heart bubbles. Oh, that's great! I should definitely get that. <laughs> well, or the never like the ever bouncy ball. The, the forever skimming stone. There's <laughs> a particular forever. item at our table, like a certain rod of brass, which I'd love to see in more of our games. You guys know what I'm talking about? Nope. Particular bottle opener. <laughs> oh. There is, and spoiler to y'all that are in my campaign on Wednesdays, but there's totally a dildo knife coming at some point. Oh, the kildo. The kildo. And, and on that, that note, we should go. <laughs> Jesus We've Christ. kept people long enough. Anyway. And you've broken me, and I don't know where that came from. It was left wing. Anyway, sure. Long story short, death is good, not bad. So long as you use it correctly, have yeah. a chat with your players. If you're not using it, use it. Make cool and have a brass dick available to you at all times. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Signing off. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>